Welcome back to the YPG Podcast. I'm Lawrence Gray, founder and director of Young Producers Group. We bring music production and technology programs into schools, nonprofits, and studios across LA. And this summer, we're doing music production workshops for kids of all ages. I started this podcast so our students could learn from the producers, musicians, music tech people, and music industry folks that are shaping the world they will go into. But all are welcome to listen. Today's guest is Zach Seekoff, a producer only a few years older than many YPG students, but he just produced almost half of the new Vince Staples record. It just so happens that he's using the same studio in Culver City that we are for YPG summer workshops. He came down one evening and shared so much valuable information and inspiration with the YPG kids. Enjoy our conversation. So right now, where I'm at is, it's like, so it's my like summer break, probably like the same as all of you and it's a time that, it's my like last official summer break, you know, all through from the time you're a baby kid to when you're like, you know, now I'm almost 22, like I've always had summer break and that was always a time where like no one could tell me to do anything and I could choose to do what I wanted to do. And so like that was always a super important time for me to like, try to finish a lot of music. Cause I knew like, okay, homework's gonna come back. Like school's gonna take up a bunch of time, but summer was like, you know, I, I remember listening to the Kanye West line, like, you know, five beats a day for three summers. Like, I was like, yeah, like, gotta do that. Like, I say this to them all the time, really, that summer is yeah. such an important time. It's a gift. It's a gift, especially to like creative people who, you know, so often the world is all about structure and it's really important to, you know, figure out how to be an artist within a, within structure, that's like a really a big challenge. But it's also cool to have some time to experience what it's like when you're just kind of free and can let your like brain go wherever. Um, so right now I'm in kind of the last one of those that's like, you know. Soak it up. Yeah, so I'm, cause I'm going back to school for my senior year. Uh, so yeah, right now I've, I'm just working on as much as I can, just trying to generate as many ideas um, not worrying about like polishing things too much right now. Um, just trying to like take the time um, to do those kind of long sessions uh, that I won't be able to do when I'm, you know, doing school. Sometimes it's good to have like something else going on. So you sit down and make something really fast and make quick decisions. Um, but I've been, you know, I've been using the space, recording drum sounds, um, trying to create, create like a sample library for myself. So when I open Ableton, um, when I'm out and I don't have access to like microphones or drums or different keyboards, I have like, you know, folders of things that I kind of shaped um, that I can kind of just go into. Um, so it's, I've been spending like, you know, last few, like maybe a week and a half doing that. And right now I'm like, for the first time in a bit, about to get jump back into making, making beats proper. But uh, cool. Yeah. So basically making beats but sort of gathering sounds because so yeah those might not people might not know that you're you know a producer with ableton yeah making beats like that yeah so i use ableton i make beats like you know kind of like every all, all the stuff that you guys are talking about i'm like wow yeah that totally applies to like my workflow and everything um and so i, lo I love ableton but my favorite so i used to work in logic um because i started in GarageBand, and you know, kind of the next logical step, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> that was really not in intended, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you say that and you don't mean it, but I really mean it. 
but the next step was like, okay, let me do logic. Um, and the one thing that I felt was lacking in that program, because I don't think that programs make or break what you do at all. Like I have a strong belief that like, they're all different tools um, and these tools come and go um, as technology progresses. And what we do as, as artists is interact with that technology and, and that's where the art happens. Mm -hmm. um, so I've never, I'm not like a, a program, I'm not a DAW like freak, uh, but- Loyalist. No, I'm not a loyalist, but it just so happened that I was doing a lot of sampling because I was really into collecting records and like, you know, going out and buying, you know, just dollar bin stuff and vinyl um, and making beats by, by sampling that. And so I was doing that in, in Logic and what Logic didn't have at the time was like, what we know in Ableton was like warping, you know, this ability to just stretch audio and treat audio like that. So I was chopping things and would have to kind of match the tempo of my drums and all of that to the tempo of the actual records that I was using, which was a cool challenge, but that's what drew me to Ableton. Um, mm. And so, so in making all these kind of drum sounds and stuff, it's like, it's a way that I can kind of like work on and accentuate like my favorite part of Ableton, which is, which is being able to pull sounds uh, and shape them. Audio, you know, the audio component. Yeah, no, I agree that being a loyalist is kind of limiting, but I will say- I know you're a loyalist, Ableton. <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah I, mean, I know it like the back of my hand, but like I really do think that sampling in live is quite strong. Um, I agree. And Logic can have some pretty serious gaps with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and it's and it's all about knowing what tools you you need for you for what you want to make, right? Like so, so you know, if you think about a painter or any other kind of artist, like they don't paint what they paint because they have these particular brushes. They they think of what they need and they learn about techniques and ways of achieving this vision that's in their head. Then they go to the art store and buy the supplies that they need to do that project. And like if you feel like in your toolbox that you're using or your workflow or in your studio, like you don't have something that you need to get that thing, always go grab it, always find it, always follow that, um, no matter where that is. If you're an Ableton loyalist and there's something that you feel like you really need from some piece of analog gear or there's a sound that you wanna get that you can't figure out, there's always a way to go find that. Um, I would argue that it's actually essential to yeah. be using multiple media. If you're just using software, yeah. Or you're, I mean, you know, a lot of great music is just with hardware, but being a musician in 2017, right, we have access to such a wide array of tools that it's silly not to. Right. I mean, it's all out there. Um, and there's so many different, where we're at right now is there's so many different terrains of making this, of making music with different methods, like, that have already been explored so well. Um, that it's kind of, I, I think it's up to us to like go out there and see which of those like work for us. So like there's so much great sampled music. Like when you really talk about like sh stuff that's made from audio that's taken from other recordings and collage stuff, like that's, that's so beautiful. Like and there's a lot of great synthesizer music that like is all analog everything, you know, German kind of, you know, electronic music, like, you know, in that yes. sense. The, you know, the, the Ableton school of beats. Yes, that's good. Yeah, uh, you know, modular and all that. Um, but, you know, in 2017, we have access to all this stuff, and uh, 
you know, I think it's up to us to, to take what we want. And, and that's, that's where cool stuff happens, when you mash up different techniques mm -hmm. from these different uh, schools of music production. Well, let's let's rewind here. So you were saying that you talking kind of broad right now. Yeah, so yeah. So you, too you, early. <laughs> you started off. You started off with GarageBand. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you could talk about your earliest entries into music. Because here we have some people that have been making music for years, and mm -hmm. others have been making music for weeks. Yeah. Right. So what was your entry into music, and and like your first steps in developing your craft? So. My first entry into music was, well, around the same time that I got my first bass guitar, because mm. uh, I really liked Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers at the time. I was like, Flea is awesome. Like, he is you awesome. Know, he's slapping, he's like playing funk and raw. I was like, this is awesome. So I was like, I need to be a <laughs> bass player. And everyone was like, I remember my dad being like, I think you should get a guitar, you know? Like everyone <laughs> just gets a guitar. Like, and I was like, no, I really want to get a bass. Um, and around the same time, I like got you know, my first computer that I could, you know, record on GarageBand. And that was just the first thing that was there. It was the first place I could record. So I figured out, you know, a way to plug in the bass. I had like a keyboard, a Yamaha keyboard that had, you know, the weirdest sounds in there. And I have one of them in here because we were sampling some things off of there because they're very nostalgic to me a little bit because mm. those are some of the first drum sounds that I was able to kind of record in. Um, so I was kind of like looking back on it, I was just like trying to use, use tools to be like, okay, I'm learning how to play this thing and I'm hearing things and I want to hear it back. So like, it was just like the, the, the idea of recording was really so you were you were learning how to record and, and sort of self-engineer yeah. as you were learning how to play bass? Exactly, like cool. around, around the same time. So they always fed off each other and I would be mm -hmm. like, I would listen to things on the radio and then another breakthrough moment was like, I was that age around like 11 years old, like when I was doing all this stuff and it was a time in music, I'm trying to think of what year it would have been, oh, six, seven. Mm -hmm. And that was a time when it was like the peak of the super producers, right? And these were guys like Timbaland and Pharrell and even Kanye and, you know, guys like that who were able to create all the music that you heard and work with artists from all sorts of genres, whether it was, you know, uh, Aaliyah to uh, Britney Spears to Gwen Stefani to, you know, like Missy Elliott. It was like anything. Justin Timberlake's record came yeah. out and it was all Pharrell and Timbaland. And it was like, uh, I just started putting the pieces of, of the puzzle together. These guys were able to like explore kind of all genres of music, all kinds of things, and really shape the sound of like what everyone was listening to. And so I was like, as I was learning to play an instrument, I was like, but also that part, like mm -hmm. that part's exciting, where you can like shape, shape everything. You're not just playing one part. The word I've heard to describe. Ableton and Logic and DAWs yeah. is sort of like a meta instrument, mm -hmm. right? It's like you're able to play all instruments with it. Yeah, and that's like was so attractive to me because it was like, I don't know, I, something, something just blew my mind about the idea that one person was creating like all this music. And then, and then I started, as I was listening to, you know, older music that I liked, I realized that that was like a model that like, produced a lot of my favorite music. So like Stevie Wonder, all his albums from the early 70s, like Inner Visions, uh, Fulfilling His First Finale, 
uh, talking book, he played all of the instruments. So he would lay down the drum tracks first, then he would play, you know, Moog bass, um, synth bass, and then he would play the keyboard parts and then sing. Prince and, as well, yeah. Right, and then going from that, you learn Prince was like the next Stevie Wonder in that sense. And those are like two of my favorite artists of all time. Yep. And so the idea that, you know, it was worthwhile to be able to play a lot of different instruments and try to like just build something from the ground up was like always attractive to me. So that's what, I mean, and like the computer was the greatest way to make that possible. Did you, know? you learn how to play drums or guitar or anything else in addition to the bass? Yeah, I learned how to play. I kind of like always like tinkered around with everything, you know? Mm -hmm. I, so up until this point, I think I can play the drums okay. I would never go to like a gig and play drums or I would never go to a gig and play piano uh, or maybe not even guitar. I really would still just play bass. Um, but I feel like I can record four bars of those instruments, mm. you know, in a way that I really dig. And like, and having that sample mentality where it's like you only need that breakbeat, then you start to learn how to play instruments in a kind of different way. Um, and, you know, and I think you shouldn't be afraid of playing an instrument on your track that you don't play just because you wouldn't feel comfortable playing that instrument in a band, right? Because like to play that instrument in a band, you have to hold that down for the whole show. That's your one role. But when we're talking about making this kind of crazy meta instrument of ourselves and our mind, like you can get samples of yourself. And like, so I, I really started learning how to play instruments kind of like that. I'd get you know, find chord voicings that I liked, not because I knew exactly what they were, but because, you know, pitch clusters, you know, you just pick a few pitches and that's a chord. Um, and then, but then pairing that with like actually learning how to play an in one instrument really, really well. And so I would, my like knowledge of, you know, harmony and rhythm and stuff that was coming from actually playing um, would just feed back in. I don't know if this that makes is, sense. Totally. This is something that I hear all the time from producers, right, is having both the digital meta instrument stuff going on, the ability to manage all of that, but also having some sort of traditional musicianship focal yeah. point, right? Because that informs the other. Like, Toby is a phenomenal keyboard player and singer on top of what he's doing, right? Emmy as well, right? This is something that I, I really urge you guys to, to do. And, you know, even if you're not like a sick bass player or a great piano player, having that thing that is outside of the box, right? Something that forces you to actually think in the moment of like, okay, I'm on this G minor seven chord, where do I wanna go? You make a decision in that moment, mm -hmm. right? And meta instrument, you're zoomed out, bird's eye view all the time, right? Having that with the sort of micro musical understanding is really important. So if you currently don't play some sort of like analog acoustic instrument, it's definitely not too late. Like mm -hmm. my dad started playing piano when he was 40, right? Like we all can pick up, you can go to the Goodwill and get like a crappy keyboard, right? And, and press and like play with that. Totally. And like what the computer can do as like a friend for our improvisation is like where I, where I think we can get the most out of a program like Ableton is where it allows us to 
turn the like managerial side of our brain off for a second and like improvise and know that once we go back and look at that, whatever we did, we can make it into something that we really, really like. And like that is so freeing because, you know, some of my favorite music is improvised music. Just like, because you can get things out of it that you would have never expected. Like, and those moments are like so key. Like when we're talking about multi-tracking voices again and again and again, and the little pieces that will emerge and interlock between them, that's where really cool stuff happens. And so when you have a program like Ableton where you can be like, all right, yeah, yeah, don't worry, like I can do anything with audio. You know, and having that bravery about that side of things really lets you get free and play. And then just go back and be like, all I gotta find is like two seconds of this that I like. And that's kind of cool. And, that, and who, knew, like, who knows what you can come up with like that. And so that's kind of how I've been working this for a is, while. This is something that comes up literally all the time, <laughs> really. It's like, you know, just hitting record, yeah. sitting in front of the synth, and, you know, maybe you're sending a sequence to it like Silent Servant was talking about, or maybe you're playing chords and just letting it roll, you yeah. know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. And then listening back to that and finding... The nuggets, right? Finding yeah. those little golden pieces. It, it's, yeah, because like you're saying, when you turn off the managerial side, when you turn off this like, I'm trying to achieve this, I better execute it right. Yeah. Right? Like I have to get this take perfect. Right? That's real pressure and that can be creatively quite stunting. Yeah. Right? But having this sort of freedom, like you said, where you can lean back on the technology to say like, okay, no matter what, this will work out. Or I can also just hit delete and do it again, right? Ableton, yeah. I always talk about, is kind of like throwing a pot. It's not like painting, right? When you put paint yeah. on a canvas, it's on it, right? With Ableton, you can spend an hour making an instrument, and you're like, oh, this is actually bad, right? And then you can delete it, and your track's fine, you know? Um, yeah, it's very forgiving, actually. Totally. Like, and, and it's not the, the desire to make music in that way like is not something that's like necessarily new um totally you know like if you look at something like bitches brew like the miles davis record the way it was actually pieced together out of these free improvised takes that they had multi-track takes and edited together later um on tape um and that's so a lot of the players that played on that record came back and listened to the final version and were like i don't even know what part of the day that was from i don't but it's this mentality of like, we can, like, that's the meta instrument. That's and also literally every Dr. Dre record. Yeah. Literally every Dr. Dre record is setting up studio musicians, letting it roll, sampling that. That is straight up how he works. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people work like that. I mean, if you listen to D'Angelo's Voodoo or whatever, like, they were in Electric Lady for months just playing and having the tape rolling. And, you know, just like stuff, and, and that like, even in the early days of synthesizers, like the idea that it was an instrument that you sit with and manipulate and get lost in um, is a really important, you know, thing. And so like not taking that for granted, but also realizing that we, we have to like run with it. And, and, and sampling records was a really good like lesson in how to make things work, right? No matter what, make audio work no matter what. Because you go into a dollar bin at the record store and you pull out something just because you think the front cover looks kind of cool mm -hmm. and you kind of want it in your room. 
um, and you get it, and you get home, and you have your, you know, your record player set up, and you drop the needle down somewhere, and you press, and you're recording. The idea that you just have this belief that that weird choice that you made in the record store and dropping the needle down, you'll get something like that'll set you off to make a whole piece of music, and like having the belief that in these little takes that we have or these little sounds that we make ha like are the like nuggets of like energy you know like not to get too cr like take it there bud i'm down with it like it's really cool and like that's because that's what i love about you know this program that we're working with um and so i try to like always remember to like let it be a f a freeing thing rather than like i gotta be in this box i gotta have my you know, rerouting. I'm always first thinking about what what ideas can I just throw in, um, mm. and maybe salvage later, maybe not. You know, who knows? It's just therapeutic, and so I always would come home from school all through middle school and high school, and to this day, like, come home right after the day, just make like three beats, just like. And I remember thinking about like how important just for my mental health like that time was during all those years of my life that like every day I would come home and like just like get lost in sounds for a while like and it's so important and it's and that and loving that process more than you know loving SoundCloud or loving you know whatever whatever, whatever the external thing is like you got to keep loving surprising yourself and getting lost in it and being like listening back and being like wow that was me like you got to get excited about it you got to listen to your own, your own music and um well, this is something i think I, I see a lot with young people is this idea of not wanting to get too pumped up yeah right this idea of kind of being too cool right and yeah i think it is so limiting to you know not get swept up because there is no great art that has ever came from like a half feeling yeah. right like that stuff's over that stuff's over like there was a whole generation of people that tried to not care about anything and it just happened and it just ended I think and you guys are a part of a generation that like you can care about stuff because like there's stuff to care about for real not everything is post history post meta da -da 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 -da, like no, you are an artist and you have tools to make art and be serious about it. Make some that you really dig because now's the time. Like that now's the time or, you know, or just have fun. But like there's no pressure on it to like have it be the easiest, coolest thing that you've ever done. Like let the struggle with it be like the art of it, like mm. for sure. And like, yeah, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be quick at all. Why would you do something that you would like feel like you did, like you won it like immediately? Like you want to do something that'll be a part of your life. Like, you know, I love music. I always will love music. Like, you know, the same way that people learn guitar and just keep playing guitar at their whole life. Like, I'd love to keep fiddling around with synthesizers and making beats and working with musicians and thinking about music. Like, that's the best. And so, yeah, there's no time for like being too cool for school about it because you, you know in your heart that the music that you really, really like, you don't feel like too cool for school about it. You love it. You love it. And you got to feel that way about what you do um, or what you're trying to do. I'm going to make myself sound like a dork here. So last, last night I was, um, you know, digging in on your 
story and to prepare for this. And there was a video of him performing at Low End Theory. And, you know, like the sort of low end theory thing to do is kind of just like nod your head and your headphones on and like, you know, kind of, but this guy is jumping around with his hands in the air, pumped up, right? And then out comes Thundercat, right? And starts slaying on the bass on top of that, right? Like being just cool guy with your perfect little outfit, right? Like that's, like, like you said, like that's over, that's whack. Those guys aren't having Thundercat come out. You know, really, I, I doubt you would be where you are today if you weren't pumped up about yeah. what you were doing. Well, I mean, it's just like, yeah. And if you're not pumped up about it, then, then just don't do it. Like, find it, something else to get pumped up about. Find something else to get pumped up about. You know, and like, it just so happens that I think music is like one of the best things to get pumped up about. And it's very forgiving and it's very vast. Like, you know, you're not gonna get boxed in, you know? It's not something you get worried that you're too into. Like, you know, it's awesome to be into music. You can always get more into it, you know? And it's awesome to be into music even if you suck. Yeah, right? because you don't suck if you're into it. Like, you don't suck Love if you're that. into it. You Hell don't yeah. suck. No, if you care about what you're doing, you do not suck. There's no way you suck. You might, because the people that really are terrible to, in my eyes are the people that I can tell, like, don't care. Because that's, because that's like annoying. Like, it's annoying. And like, and it turns people off in a certain way. Like, and like, I think we can get super caught up in trying to like manage how we come off to people. And image. Image, and because we're in such an, an age of that. And more and more and more, the image is so important. But at the end of the day, like, I know from the, what, what I've learned from like digging into records from the past, the records that I like the most, like the cool people did not like or buy or know about. And nobody was writing them up, nobody bought them, you know what I mean? Like, none of that stuff should be at the core of what you're doing. Like, and if you, and if you start being able to play at low in theory and play with Thundercat, who's a, who was my idol of idols, I'm a bass player. Like, you know, I, I learned about him when he was just Steven Bruner, who would be on the liner notes of some of my favorite, like Erica Badu records or Sara um, Creative Partners, which is like, that's must-list and stuff. Hmm. Sara, um, which is Omas Keith and Shafiq Hussein and Taz Arnold. It's like some, some LA funk. So that's where I learned about him. And I, when I met him, he totally brought me under his wing. Um, and like believed in me, like he believed in me and would like sit down and improvise with me and like show me his process and, you know, write songs with me at a very early age, like when it didn't make sense to me why he was doing that. Because in my mind, I was just trying to be like, you know, Flying Lotus or something. I was trying to like be like the guys that he already worked with. But I don't know, he responded to the energy and my like willingness to like try and work. How did, how did you first make contact with him? Oh, I was 14 and I went to a show at Grand Performances downtown, which was, and it was Miguel Atwood Ferguson, who is a viola player and a, an arranger from LA. And he did uh, the Suite for Ma Dukes, which is the Jay Dilla um, tribute um, concert that happened probably in 2000 eight or ten or so, like a while ago but there was a they redid a, a concert of it so um flying lotus was there kamasi washington was playing chris dave uh who played with the robert glassberg experiment for a while was playing drums 
you know, it was a it was a great night. Bilal Oliver Oliver came out and sang, and so I went to that concert because I was a huge fan of all these people. And you know, I was like, how cool is it that all these people that I'm a fan of play music and live in my city? And I was just like, let me go check it out. And after the show, I just like was so geeked up and excited. I just went up to Thundercat and I was like, dude, like I really love your music. I'm a huge fan of you. I play the bass. Would you ever give bass lessons? And he was like, uh, like I've never given a bass lesson before. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he was like, you know what? Take my number. And I was like, well, that's crazy. So I, I got his number and like for a year I would like call and text him and try to meet up and like it, w it wouldn't work out. But like now I look back on it and I was like, he's on tour with Erica Badu. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, <laughs> and he was playing bass in suicidal tendencies. Like, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, he's, he's not gonna hang out with you. Like, but after a while, he started his like solo career. And when he started like putting out his own records and I would go to his shows and hang out with him and I would just see him again and again. And we would always talk. And like, so that's behavior that would otherwise be like stalkerish and weird. <laughs> but I really was into it. And not because I wanted to have a Thundercat feature on my record or because I wanted to like, you know, get put on. It was just cause like, I thought he was so amazing and I wanted to learn from him. And like, if you come to people with that attitude, like, yo, like, I wanna like learn from you and I wanna like talk about the real deal music stuff, then people will, like, I, I just think that's so much more attractive than like, yo, I got a lot going on, like, you know, like, pretty poppin', like, you should check out, like, you know, this, that, and the third that I have going on. Like, I'm a lot less likely to wanna like talk to you than if you're like, hey, I've been listening to some crazy stuff. I want to make some cool stuff. I'm working on this, like, you know? So that's where I'm at with it. I think I've, it's always paid off for me to like be honest and be like, yo, you inspire me. Like, I want to learn from you. Like, you know, and that's where a lot of the good mentors came from when I was just like unabashed about it. Like, why would I be ashamed? These people want people to care about what they do sincerely, you know? So. Sorry if I'm getting too like no, you're perfect, emotional about no, no, my no. past and things. I want to draw a parallel, right? I'm sure you guys saw some overlap here with what Silent Servant was saying on Tuesday, right? Being present, going to the show, right? Going to the next show, going to the next show, right? And being persistent, right? Being like, okay, you didn't pick up my call because you're on tour with Erica Badu we're done, like, yeah. that's it, you know? Still call, still text. I mean, obviously you weren't, like, texting him five times a day. And, and, and not a SoundCloud link, not a, yo, listen to my track. Like, yo, like, wanna, like, talk about music and teach me bass lessons, you know what I mean? Like, I think that it's always dope to, like, wanna collaborate with someone, but it's really, it's really a tricky space when it's, like, you know, you don't know what the do you you know you don't know what the motive is sometimes uh, when people you know, but that's why it's so important to just be sincere. You know, because if you're just being yourself, then your motives will show. Like, <laughs> it's really easy to see what somebody wants, and if they want to work and like make something together and collaborate how you guys were, you know, like then that's awesome. But if it's someone like yo, let me just like get your little thing and put it on my thing, and, like get your name, yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel good. So like. Uh, yeah, it's always good to be persistent, 
to be a real fan of something and to be like to really like it, you know? Because if you don't really like it and you just like the idea of it, that's not going to be a collaboration that'll like, you know, go productive very far. at all. Yeah. Nah, no. So okay, Garage Band, bass. Yeah. Plugging in. Plugging in. Getting little going. fast track. You nice. know, I'd have a fast track, and then I started figuring out. It's a little interface. Yeah, M Audio interface. And then I started figuring out that you could. So in GarageBand, there was a thing called the sound effects rack, which was like a keyboard. It was like a MIDI keyboard thing, one of the sounds. But you could drag in audio clips to and replace the sound effects that were on that sound. Hmm. Only place in Logic that you can do that. I mean, in um, GarageBand. So I was like, oh, this is a sampler, not a full sampler as we know them today with any sort of attack and release and velocity or whatever. But I can load up samples and drum sounds to this. And like, I was watching a lot of videos online about people using the MPC and like, you know, that kind of production, like where it was like, everyone was like records, MPC, maybe a keyboard for a bass line. And that was like, the production that I was kind of watching was into, you know, really, really was into Jay Dilla, really was into Kanye West beats. I was really into DJ Premier. I was into Mad Lib, big time. So I was kind of trying to learn how to do that stuff. And so I figured out you could start triggering MIDI. It's a simple thing that you can do in Ableton, but when you're in GarageBand, there's not a real system for it. Then when I tried to move up to Logic and move my projects into Logic, the problem was the file routing system for the, for the samples that I was doing in GarageBand like, didn't translate. And I would go to the Apple store and they're like, we did not make this program to do this. They're like, this program is not made to do this. You can't do it. So like, that's an example of just figuring out what you have in front of you, being like, I know that, there, that there's, some, there's a thing called the MPC that you can put samples and drum sounds on and trigger a MIDI pad or whatever and get, get your rhythms in. And I was like, I'm gonna figure out how to do this in this program. Um, and obviously there's better ways to do it, um, but it's about starting with, uh, with the ideas, I guess. Not to be too grandiose about what I was trying to do, I was just trying to like, you know, make little drum patterns. But then like from there, I went to Logic and got really into, you know, kind of doing, it was like, then I started, you know, that was like my dark, beautiful, twisted fantasy era when I was like, I just wanted to go maximalist. And so you're in Logic and you have all this orchestral sounds. And I did a lot of MIDI stuff for a while. Um, and I was like, man, I just want to focus a little more on sound design and audio clips. And that's kind of when the Ableton thing started. Uh, but I, I was always making a lot of different kinds of music. I was. I never had like one thing I would like be like, okay, I can do the hip hop beats today or like I want to try to like write a jazz song and like, you know, play it out or um, I want to do something that's all samples or something that has no samples. So always kind of challenging myself with these different ideas. Like I would hear something to try to make it happen. Now, I think something that's really interesting about you, Zach, is that you're deeply pursuing music stuff, going to low end theory all the time. Mm -hmm. Like you're really investing the time in that. But also you go to Yale. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> it's it's kind of it's really it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to hear because these guys are all in high school or yeah. you know, just finished. What what do you recommend as you know, someone who has clearly killed it in both the music and academic worlds? How do you how do you and this is something I think adults, everyone wrestles with, is how do you how do you find that balance? Yeah. Um, or do you? 
it's been something that I've like, you know, I would be lying to you if it, if I, I said it didn't like, you know, trouble me or like that I didn't think about it a lot or haven't thought about it a lot or don't think about it a lot. Um, so I can only tell you kind of where I'm at with it now because it's something that like in our society, like the, the, the idea that you want to pursue art is very different from the idea that you go to college, which then can be converted into some kind of like capital, right? Or power, like to get into the job market. You know what I mean? And then you're plugged into that whole thing, right? It's kind of only seen as like a stepping stone towards that. And so it's like, well, if I don't want to go towards that, why even step on that stepping stone, right? Like, why would I take the path to this thing that I don't want to go to? So that was weird. I was like, but I was kind of, it kind of was just like all happening, like in a weird way. Like things were just kind of like, okay, I'll apply. I don't think I'll get in. I'll write my application about, you know, how I like to do music and all this stuff. And like, you know, then when I got in, I was kind of, oh snap. Like I thought I was just going to stay here. I didn't think. I just like had these two fantasies going on, right? About like, wouldn't it be great to go to, like an Ivy League school and be able to study whatever I wanted to with like insanely smart people. Like that would be awesome. But I was like, but that's like so different than staying at home and really working on this music thing and trying to like network and do all that in LA, which I felt like I was already kind of doing. And so I was like, man, that's a, t that's a t tough decision. But I'll save you all the drama in between. But how I look at it now is it's like, it's all your brain. Like it's really, you can't split, split it up too much. Like the same brain that you use to talk to other people, same brain that you use to fe like feel things, to think about yourself, is the brain that you make your art with. And it's the brain that you use when you read a book about the world, when you read the news, when you take a walk around and look, you know, and when you listen to music, when you know about history, it's all the same brain. And you make decisions using what's in here. Like, and so I never would recommend that, you, that if you're curious about something, you ever turn away from it because you think that it'll take you too far from where, where you're trying to go. Because the, it'll always, if you allow it to, like what you learn in school can always inform what you're doing in your art. But I kind of treated school in a different way. Like when I went there, I was like, I'm only taking classes in things that I think are like super interesting and might apply to my art. I was like, let me see if I can do this. And so I, start, I took a class called Jazz and Architecture. I was telling him about that earlier, which basically talked about free jazz and how it like relates to like curvilinear modern architecture, digital architecture. So that blew my mind, right? I was like, we could go into that for a long time. Like I was learning about the history of dub music, the history of jazz, the history of, um, you know, po poetry, like American poetry, that learning about that and, and also art history, like learning about style, like architecture, like these choices that people make in their art, whatever medium it is and how it relates to the world around it. I think that's worthwhile if you're making, if you're trying to be a producer and like, not just a beat maker, right? Cause like, this is the young producers group. Like, Bam. it's not the beat makers group. It's like, you're producing music. You're producing something, you know? And you, and that's what the, what a producer is, is you have to see the bigger vision for things. Like that's, 
That's that meta instrument that we're talking about, is you're not just focusing on that baseline, which is important, but you have to see how that baseline relates to the rest of the entire thing, from the mixing, to the sounds, to the songwriting, to the vocal, to, there's so many things about it. And on top of that, you have to have the taste in, in knowing how that relates to the world around it, you know? And like, that has to do with like politics, like the city you live in, you know, the place you live, like, you're, you know, well, it, it, there's, it, it's worthwhile to think about all that whether stuff. Whether you're it, thinking about it or not, it's still in a context. You can't right? escape it, right? You can't escape it. And maybe not, it's not for everyone to go and like get a degree about it. That's not the point. The point is like whether you're in school being curious about the world around you and art and things like, or you're just doing it by yourself, which you totally can. Like, I think, but I just think it's really important because like, you gotta know the world in order to know what kind of art you wanna make. I think there's a, a huge pressure always, but especially in modern life, to be limited to just one thing. Yep. To be just hip hop producer that makes this type of beat. Yeah. Right? Or to be, you know, Yale student studying this, this, this. And it's, it's, it takes a sort of bravery to be open to doing both. But I guess what you're saying is with this one brain, it's an illusion that it's mm -hmm. both, yeah. right? That it's actually one larger effort of understanding the world and understanding yourself. Would you say that's sort of accurate? Yeah, conclusion? not to make it seem so deep, because I'm not saying like every operator synth that you build is gonna have to do with your deepest inner self. A lot of it's just like exploring <laughs> and hearing sounds and being like, that's awesome. Like, that sounds great. Like, I love how that sounds. That's part of it. But I think, yeah, you can't, like, why do you think that that sounds awesome? Like, that's a good question. Like, what, what music did you hear growing up? Like, what, did you drive around in cars and listen to music as a teenager? Or did you ride on the subway? That's very different. A lot of friends that I have from the East Coast listen to rap music and they, ha they listen to it differently because they grew up on the train with earbuds. But I listen to it differently because I grew up riding around in cars with, you know, big bassy speaker systems. So like, yeah, all produce, or like going to low end theory, which it's very material. Like they invested in bigger sub speakers at that club early on and that made a lot of producers in the city respond by creating music that could you know, play out of those speakers and really move. So it's like the world around you is always gonna give you clues for what, like, what you wanna do. Mm. I don't know. Totally. Not to be too heady. Let no, me know no, if I'm... I, I, think it's, I think it's really important to, to take it there and not yeah. shy away from big ideas. You know? Yeah, it's why not, right? Like, and this is a time for big ideas, I feel like. Especially you guys, you know, you know that social media is not gonna like save you, right? You know that like, I, I don't know, I think there is like a generation that I feel like I'm on the cusp of. I'm like on the cusp between these two kind of times where, you know, like it, it was like the internet is, is gonna like, by the virtue of its being, like it's just gonna connect everything and everything's gonna be figured out. It's like, and we don't need to even think of big ideas. It's just all gonna happen and it's like, I think we, we're starting to realize that no, like there's still room for interesting new ideas. Like people are hungry for that stuff. Like it's not just these networks that we can build. It's like art too. Like you and know? there's also I think even you know especially today there's there's totally the potential of it all coming tumbling down with yeah you know, net neutrality being well super... SoundCloud might not exist in a few days. Like yes. Yeah. So I mean I think it's 
yeah. <laughs> it, not the time to shy away from big ideas. Anymore. Right. Like, why not? If you get one, like, if you get one record, you know, just make it cool. Like, it doesn't have to be the most polished thing. It just like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm really dealing with like the idea of like urgency right now, like in the music where. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, the time right now feels like everything's moving super fast to me, and uh, just people are feeling like really urgent, like everything is like right now, like now or never feeling. And, and it's a weird feeling, right? It's a very, you know, 24 hour news cycle thing and like, and it affects everything that we do. And, um, and so the music, I don't know, like for me, I, I want it to feel urgent like that. Uh, if only to just like, because I feel that way. Mm. Um, and like, it's stuff like that where it's like, you're not, or, or maybe you decide everything feels so fast right now, I want my music to feel really slow and like to like counteract it and like, but to not shy away from thinking about your music in comparison to the way you feel about the world because more and more we're all connected and we're all seeing the same things like flash by our face. And so like, it's now's a great time to like make a statement, but it doesn't have to be like, I'm writing a song about X, Y, Z in the news. It's like, it can be that crazy of like, things feel really fast, I wanna go slow, or things re feel really fast, I wanna like, remind people of how crazy and fast it feels. Um, yeah, well, you know. speaking, speaking of urgent music, let's talk about Vince Staples. That's exactly what I'm thinking about, yeah. man. That was, yeah. that was the urgent record, like, for me, one of the ones. Props, props, props on that record, dude. Thank Big you. Big Fish Theory is, is Thank unreal. You. Thank you. Um, so I, I would love if you could talk about how that project got rolling, right? So how you sort of met yeah. Mr. Staples, <laughs> right? And then from there, how Big Fish Theory emerged. Yeah, we're like, we're one of the only two people in the game that use our real names, Vince Staples and Zach Seekoff. Neither of those are stage names. Hmm. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we, met, um, we met a while back, uh, like probably five, six years ago. How'd you um, meet? Through a mutual friend, Westside Ty, the Beeper King. Um, what? He's the Beeper King? The Beeper King. <laughs> yeah, Westside Ty, the Beeper King. You That's heard quite a name, dude. You heard right. He's like, the best way I can describe him is like, if you know anything about like New York in the early 80s, like, you know, Andy Warhol, Basquiat, Debbie Harry, and there was this guy, Fab Five Freddy, who went on to host Yo! MTV Raps, which was like one of the first hip hop TV shows, right? But he was like influential in that art scene because he moved between like the burgeoning hip hop scene, the new wave scene, the punk scene, the fine art scene, the graffiti scene. And he was like this guy that kind of just connected everyone and would kind of like introduce people from all over that would that. And he was kind of a tastemaker in that regard. So that's Fab Five Freddy. And I think that that's that's how I think of West Side Thai. Um, and he's someone I met. Just like, I don't know, when you start meeting people doing this, like same way you guys are all meeting here, it, it just starts like growing and you meet like-minded people as you go. And that's one of the best parts about being in music. So Ty- Again, being present, right? Making yourself available. And actually making real friend, friends with people. Like not, oh, let's collab, let's send me your like thing. Like let's collab, but also like, let's go get some food. Like let's go to the movies. Like, so anyways, Ty lives near my house, so we, I just hang out with him all the time, and he has like the best taste in music, and he's friends with Vince, so I met him through Vince, I mean, met Vince through Ty, 
and we had gone to like Six Flags on, on Vince's birthday and like I'd had some really just like regular times with this kid who was coming up and rapping and I would see him around and you know, just kind of one of those acquaintances all through high school, I guess. And then um, Ty started going out with Vince on tour as his DJ. So Ty was Vince's DJ when, when Vince started touring. So he, was, he started went going, he went on the Schoolboy Q tour. Then he went on the ASAP Rocky Tyler the Creator tour. And it was like opening, you know, and we get bigger. And then I remember, you know, oh my God, so they're doing solo shows now. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, you know, and it like watching that kind of build and grow and like the music that they were making was amazing. And I'd always, you know, I'm really close with Ty and I would always see Vince and talk about music and go to his shows and stuff. But I, we never really sat down and like worked on music. Mm. Um, but I always knew that he had a, like an interesting ear for things. Like, and a lot of it has to do with also Ty is like, has a really eclectic ear for, for, for music. So Ty is one of the people that really put me onto grime and like a lot of UK rap, um, you know, huge Lil B fan, like huge Jay Dilla fan, like huge Sara fan. Like we, our musical tastes were just like kind of everywhere. Um, Vince really likes 80s music. So it's just like over the years, like hearing these little things like coming out of either Ty or Vince about Music Portis Head, like, was something that, like, Vince would bring up. And I'd be like, crazy. that's crazy. That's like, awesome. You know, like, that's crazy. Like, and, and meanwhile, I'm watching him grow and become, like, one of the best rappers. You know, I really think one of the best rappers in the world. And with a, and with a view on kind of what's going on that's super sharp. So I trust his kind of read on the culture super, super crazy. So then we would always have, like, you know, long conversations about what was going on in pop culture and music. Um, and then finally, around the time that Prima Donna was coming out, the last EP that he did, um, he was like, yo, I, I kind of want to make a live show that's a little more involved musically. So can you compose some like intros and outros of music for the new set? So that was like one of the first things I ever like kind of was creatively commissioned to do with him. But I'm like, you know, going back and forth to school and stuff. But I, I made this thing for him with like, you know, synthesizers and all this stuff, like trying to do these like kind of crazy like Mike Dean type arrangements, uh, you know, Kanye's kind of keyboard guitar guy, do these kind of arrangements on the songs for the live show that's like kind of flow. And then around that time, he was like, also, can you just send me like some beats? And I had sent him beats through the years, but it was never like anything serious because he was getting beats from like no ID and stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, the greatest of all time, so, and DJ Dahi and stuff like that. So I was always kind of like, and the, the project right before I worked on, like James Blake did a few of the beats and it was just like, come on, man, like, what are my beats really gonna do? Maybe I'll add some synth or guitar and, you know, I can play, so I'll just play on the records and stuff. Um, but I sent him a folder of beats and he was like, okay, I like that one, I like that one, I like that one, I'm gonna rap on him. And he was sent to me right away. I was like, okay, this is different. Like, he really liked those. And so then I went over to Ty's house one day and we ate at the Apple Pan. Hell yeah, yeah. bakery yeah. burger? Of course, well, and also tuna melt though. Oh, yeah. I've never had tuna yeah. melt. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, tuna melt with the pepperoncinis mm. and extra pickles. Anyways, so basically <laughs> we went to the Apple Pan, like real west side and came back and, uh, and you know, I just had my computer and no speakers, anything, just playing off my computer speakers, like, just have, you know, my iTunes is full of just bounces that I have and like 
playing him stuff and he would just be like, I like that one. So I'd set it aside in a folder and he's like, I like that one. Vince was sitting there, I like that one. But so casual, you know, like not in the big studio with the big speakers. It's just like the rhythms that like caught his ear. So I sent him all those and that was like last summer. And so then I, then I was, had already planned to go on a semester abroad to London for like three months, right when they were about to like start making this record. So I was like, oh God, like I'm gonna miss this whole thing. Like I could be there, but then like, you know, everyone else is gonna come in with the crazy beats and they're gonna ditch my weird ones. Which gets back to the conflict we were talking about before. Totally, like, okay, I wanted to do that and explore that, but like, what if that gets in the way of the opportunity that I have here? So I was like, ah, but whatever. They were like, no, just keep sending beats. So I went to London and was like, and the beats that he had picked were kind of like inspired by like UK garage or garage, as they say, garage, garage and like, uh, you know, kind of swingy stuff, like some garagey and a lot of grime kind of influence stuff. Um, and so I was like, oh shit, I'm in London for three months. Like I have these headphones, I have this dorm room. I'm gonna like walk around the streets of London, listen to a lot of crazy music. I like got back into really listening to weird stuff again, which is something I didn't do for a while. I was kind of so focused on making beats and things that I, I didn't like, I wasn't as avid of, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as avid of a listener. Um, but I would like walk around town and go on the tube and like listen to Burial and listen to Zombie and listen to Jungle um, from the early 90s, like suburban bass, like records, like record labels like that. And just kind of like getting into like, like it was almost felt like electronic music archaeology or something like, cause it mm. all comes from America. Like a lot of it, like house music, techno music, club music, like from Detroit and Chicago um, and other cities, obviously, but a lot of that stuff found a home and mixed with Jamaican dub and a lot of other things in England. And, you know, just kind of immersing myself in that and like the possibilities of electronic music, I have re fell in love with it. Did you, did you go to any clubs when you were in London? So like, I was there when Fabric was closed. So Fabric oh, is the biggest one. Um, and like, so Fabric was closed the whole time. So London was in this weird moment where all the cool stuff was happening in these small cafes because grime was really big right now. You know, it was like the fall of, Storm, of, of, uh, of Skepta. I mean, Skepta's like just dropped his big album. He's like popular now, Drake messes with him. Like, so the grime stuff is kind of like above and beyond what's going on. And then all the kind of electronic stuff is not as much in the big clubs because those are getting way more regulated and they're just happening in like little coffee shops. Mm. So it all felt super approachable in cool. a cool way. And so like when I would talk about LA music and stuff, they were all super familiar with- People in London love LA stuff. It's insane. I dropped like three names about, you know, oh, low end theory, like, uh, chill with Thundercat. Yeah, like say two things, but or even just say you're from LA, and they like get so excited. It's really true. It's insane. And 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 I realized it's because like a lot of the stuff that we do here, um, with the music that's been coming out of LA, is it it definitely is influenced by what they do over there, and vice versa. And there's always been a really strong connection between BBC DJs like Giles Peterson or Marianne Hobbs that like take take hold of LA stuff really quick and like love it and like the jazz stuff so I was like so I was like this is the most open amazing scene ever like everyone was super nice um, and you know I met some people and made music with them but mostly just spent time alone 
making beats. Like, and I hadn't done that for a while, and I like just loved it. I had the best time, and like walking around the city, just coming home and making beats by myself. No, didn't know anyone really, and was just sending them to Vince, and he was like picking them and rapping on him. And then when we came, when I came back from London, is when we kind of locked in at the real studio in Hollywood and uh, kind of made the album. Uh, with the stems and things of the stuff that I had been making. Can you talk a little bit about what that process actually looked like? So yeah. you're sending him beats and then it's not like you just wrapped on it and you're done. What was what was the process there? Um, you know, I was I wasn't even making rap beats in my mind. Like I realized that like there's a myth about what a rap beat can be because like that changes always. It always changes. Like you look at just the from the beginning of, of hip hop and like when people first started rapping until now, like it's almost every style, rhythm, genre of music has been rapped over. So this idea of like a rap beat as a category is kind of like I had to kind of like shake that off and be like, I'm just gonna make music and write music that I like that has room for a vocal part that's not necessarily totally melodic, but I wanna like create like interesting things that can go around it that's not, that are not necessarily like traditional rap things. But I was kind of realizing like the way that, that those dudes rap out there, like the grime guys and they can rap over garage and grime is kind of comes out of like garage and dance music and jungle and MCing on jungle music, which is and like- dubstepy stuff. Yeah, and dubstepy stuff. Like, so it's everything. They can rap over house. Like, it's like the limitations of the rapper is what determines what is rapped what it was able to be yeah about. and I'm like dude Vince is the best like it, he's one of the best in my mind so like totally uh not just because I work with him I just think that like I just think he like has a sharp take on things and he's technically great well if you if you look at like Kendrick right you know he's not afraid to rap over some really crazy stuff exactly like you know to pimp a butterfly is one of my absolute favorite records yeah and that that music is crazy. That was a huge inspiration for like, seeing how Thundercat like operated working on that album and how like, how they like accepted the stuff that he was already making. Like the stuff that you hear on that album is, is music that Thundercat had been writing and that's like his sound. And it was so cool to see how beautifully it all turned out when it was just accepted and like made into the best it could be you know, by an artist who really saw it for what it was. And so I was like, you know what? Why, why be too cool for school and like send the stuff that I think this artist would like? Like, why don't I just send them what I like? Especially when he's giving you the signals that he doesn't want. Yeah, he's, he's like, every signal he's giving me is like, I want you to like, give me something that, you know, he keeps saying like, my favorite rap album is Jesus. And I'm like, okay, like, that means give me whatever the hell you want. Like, you know, and, that's so freeing, and uh, it. What so a the, fortunate position to be in, man. I feel so. I feel so lucky because it's really, really rare that someone, you know, sees music like that um, and sees it as like a challenge to like push forward, like you know, not to do something that everyone else does. Um, and and I think we're seeing more and more that that pays off. Like this was like the most successful thing that I've done, and it was like the most like unexpected for me. Like I, di I didn't calculate it as much as like mm -hmm. I've tried to do other things. Not saying that like <laughs> I've done a lot of like super calculated things, but 
Sounds very organic. It was, and it also came out of like a real friendship, right? Like, so then when we, we were in the studio and I was like doing vocal takes with him and like being on the talk back mic and being like, you could do it better. That's something that like, you know, it takes kind of like a, that's, that's producing to, in, a, in its own way. And like, it takes a certain collaboration and willingness to like trust each other um, that I think is rare in a lot of the situations we get put in sometimes as producers where it's like, yeah, here's someone that you are gonna work with that like just has their thing and just make it work. And like, but it's really fun to be able to push back and forth. Well, I'm so glad to hear the other night we were talking about how you're starting on the next Vince <laughs> record. So that's that's beautiful. Yeah, we're already working on new stuff, so who knows what's who knows what's happening. So stoked, so stoked. Um, just change gears a little bit. I wonder if you could share, maybe not in too detail. Too much yeah, I'm talking too much, I think. No, you're doing you're <laughs> perfect, bud. Um, a little bit about some production stuff, yeah. right? If there's anything that you wish you knew when you were just getting started, like, oh, I wish someone taught me this production trick or this technique or this whatever. Do you feel like there's anything really valuable that these guys should be keeping in their mind when they're getting started here? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I wish I knew. Um, I think, first of all, like I guess the most important thing to me in production or like what I do in the box, I guess, um, in Ableton is is drums. Like I think drums are like at the centerpiece of what I'm actually doing. The rest is like ornamentation to the drums to me. But mm. I, I really listen to music for the drums um, and how it interacts with the bass and how the chords kind of are on top of it, but like if you don't have a groove that's intriguing and has sounds that you really dig, like I don't know, I think that's really the core of what I like to do. And where does the where does the groove come from for you? So like I went through a lot of stages of like I, I kind of like swore off quantize for a long time. Like I was like, I don't want to use quantization because you know I was I love Jay Dilla, I love uh, Mad Lib, and I love, you know, kind of just free sounding, the organic human, human uh, stuff. But then I started listening a little closer to some other music that I really liked, which is like Afrobeat, which is, you know, Nigerian music like Fela Kuti and this drummer, um, Tony Allen, and also like James Brown's bands. These guys are no joke when it comes to their time. Like yeah, machines, like it's like, it's almost hard to comprehend how a human being can play without changing tempo at all for like 30 minutes on the same groove, like impeccable. And so then I started thinking, well, okay, so like there's the sloppiness and the organicness and the rawness, but there's also something really awesome about really on in the pocket, uh, polyrhythmic, like steady, tight, drums mm. so then so then i started learning about like techniques of like mixing the quantizing with the not quantizing so i'll often like program one piece of the drum pattern like let's say the hi-hat completely on the grid and then drop in the kick and snare kind of organically over it and in doing so like it nudges the whole thing and lets it all move um, and so that way, like, your whole thing isn't just floating around. There's, like, there's a kind of, like, uh, tight piece. Because, like, if you listen to a lot of drummers, their hi-hats are right on. And sometimes they'll swing 
you know, and do like a little fill on the kick or a little like ghost note on the snare, but they're, they're, they're never stopping that hi-hat thing. Or jazz drummers like Elvin Jones, who's like always keeping time steady with the hi-hat with his left foot. But the rest can kind of fall and freely move around, but you're still right here, like down the middle. So, kind of, like yeah, groove to me is like super important. And then another thing I wish I knew more about earlier was how important velocity is. Mm. Um, and so like, not only does that free grooving feeling happen, happen from the changing of, of, of the notes in time, but like the velocity and the level, the volume or the intensity of the hit on the hi-hat, you know, like that kind of stuff, that you can be right on the grid. And when you change that velocity, then a groove will start to emerge and like syncopation will happen out of that. So there's a lot of groove that you can get out of, you know, automating some velocity changes or playing in velocity changes and keeping those velocities grooving even if you quantize it, you know, later. Um, but always just like not taking the grid for granted. Like you can always mess with the grid. You can always push things. You can always Command play differently. for that business, guys. Yeah. You can, yeah, you can do anything. Awesome. So I think that kind of takes me to the end of what I wanted to talk yeah. to you about, but I'm sure these homies have, have questions. Um, so let's, let's just pass the mic around here. It's like Red Bull music academy. That's, cool. that's right. He just said that it was like that, and that's why I like I've been all like Red Bull music academy yeah, this whole time. Because I could I, I could have played it differently, but I totally went Red Bull music. <laughs> I'm down. Um, I guess I, I don't really have a, a formulated question. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it's more about like the kind of tension I, I heard you you speaking about um, between like. I guess the thing that I've been struggling with is I, I'm trying to make really, really genuine music that, that moves me. But I think like in this age where every I see other kids or just like just everything can be on such a massive scale all mm -hmm. of a sudden. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and like when you're doing something that like moves you so profoundly and then like suddenly this the scale isn't isn't there and that that's like a, sometimes a weird tension between like making art for yourself versus what the outcome of it can be. Yeah. Not in like a, I want a bunch of money mm -hmm. and, and fame, but just in like, that you want to share your art with the world and you want it to move other people. Um, so I wonder what you thought about that tension. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot because, you know, I don't think I'm necessarily sitting up here because I have a lot of like social media like numbers. I don't, like I really don't. Like I just got over a thousand Instagram followers. Like I've been doing music for a long time. I've been putting out music for a long time. Like I've, you know, 2012, I put out an EP, you know, like I, and was like trying to get interviews and like, I've been doing it, you know, and trying to like, not even just like trying to be underground, like trying to actually do it. And it's often been super like, dang, like what am I even doing it for? Because like everyone else is getting like, all this attention and it's like, I'm just here whittling away in like the dark, like, you know, for no reason. And if you look at it like that, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Like, you know, if that's the barometer for like, you know, the success of things. But 
what I've learned is it's kind of like, there's not only one way for that people will come and like learn about what you do. Like, you think about your favorite artists, like there's so many ways that you learn about them. Like, and it's usually not because you're scrolling through Instagram and see someone with a bunch of followers and you follow their SoundCloud link and then, oh my God, this is my favorite artist. Sometimes that happens. But like a lot of times, like you found out about your favorite band or whatever, cause like a friend of yours made a, a playlist on Spotify that had like a song with very few plays and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Nobody knows about this. That's a better feeling sometimes than, than seeing these things that are already like, you know, hey, thumbs up, everyone likes this. Like, and so you gotta be like confident in the fact that like the people that will love what you do will listen to it. Um, and, but it's something that's kind of like really visible right now. But again, like we talked about it, it could all come crashing down at any moment. Like, you know what I mean? SoundCloud, I'm really like, I had a lot of stress about my SoundCloud numbers for a while. It's like, oh my God, like all these kids are blowing up and like they're the next beat kid and I'm like, well then I, if I don't get that, then I like miss that whole thing and that I'm a beat kid, right? Like, so like if I'm not one of the big kids out there, it's like, but I've done things that I'm proud of and I've made music that I really like and like the, a lot of people that I respect, like respect what I do. So it's like, okay, so now I have all that and if SoundCloud crashes tomorrow, cool. Like, you know, like I got my music and I got my taste and like, not, and like, yeah, it's really cool to have a lot of people listen to what you do. Like, it's cool to like operate on these different scales. But like, for me, it's like, I want to keep doing like what I like to do and have these different, you know, different projects that are for different scales. Like, you know, Vince Staples is a big rapper. Like he's a big, like popular rapper. And like working with him that I work on his scale. But like, if I make a jazz record, I don't expect it to be that scale necessarily. It could be, but you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be that to feel validated about like the work that you do. Um, Cause nowadays there's just so, it's like everything's changing so fast that the only thing you really have is like what you're doing, what you're working on. Like, and you'll always have new stuff, you know what I mean? So, and you never know what that stuff is gonna turn into. Um, so don't stop making the stuff because it hasn't found a home yet. Cause like stuff doesn't find homes for like, a long time like you know a lot of the like one of the beats that got used on the Vince record I made like four years ago you know and he liked it and he rapped on it and like but it wasn't like I didn't that beat didn't pay itself forward to me in like a visual like oh yo like it wasn't out there there was no like gratification for making it for like a long time but I liked it you know and that's that's awesome that's awesome and like then a few years later, you go back and play and you're like, ooh, that's pretty good. Like, we should do something with that, you know? And that's worth it. That's super worth it. And like we were talking about before, the, the authenticity is just key. If it's inauthentic, it's going to blow right over. And I'm, not, and I'm not trying to say that, like, everything you do has to be, like, gut-wrenchingly authentic. Like, mm. a lot of it can be, you know, for fun, for the club, to dance to, to laugh about, to... You, some of my favorite stuff I've ever done is like a joke. It's like a troll, you know? That's cool, that's great. But like, know what you're doing when you're doing it. You know what I mean? If you're doing something with an angle and a kind of aesthetic to it and a commentary, like that's part of it. But like, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught, you know, like, 
it's all like your choice. It's all your art. It's all stuff that you can manipulate, you know? And it's not about manipulating other people because that's not what it's about. It's about showing, you know, something, I guess. So um, this is kind of like a broad question, but especially like I feel the urgency that um, you feel too, like with people around the world just like at each other's necks, like mm -hmm. about to bomb each other. Yeah. And it's just like, what, you know, can we do as artists? Um, I feel like, especially now in today's age with everything moving so fast, like each, I feel like each, um, you know, artist kind of has their own ego and it's like keeping a shell around yeah. their own being. And I don't know if you have any ideas cause I, I can catch your drift on like, you know, the whole energy thing and like how we can, you know, meld into um, a society that kind of works together for our art to, um, you know, create experiences for people to kind of realize like um, what we're even doing here. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, that's the that's a million dollar question and it's like but I, I've had some like really interesting conversations about this and the idea that your art is never gonna be that transcendent thing that you imagined it to be. Right? That dream that you had about it, it's never gonna actually be that. Cause if it became that, then you like you'd be like a magician, right? Because like you would create the exact beautiful thing, but it's like as long as you're trying to create the thing that you wish you saw and like are honest about it and are like creating like from your perspective, that's like a, I think a really important part of all this because like we can, we can relate to each other but only if we're actually being ourselves. Like, you know, like I see a lot of collaborations that happen between people that I don't know like it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's the idea of these two people working together rather than these two mm -hmm. people working together. Totally. Um, and I think that that's like all around us. It's like the idea of like collaborating with this person in XYZ field or like, oh, a you know, a collaboration between this company and this company to do this product. Like, that's a brand idea, you know? And, um, and I think it's much more fun to work with people that really can help you try to get to that vision and I think that so when, when how that relates to the rest of society is like it may provide a blueprint for the idea that if we all are like focusing on something rather than just our our individual interests or our angles um, or our scale right like then we, then maybe we can like work towards something together like maybe all of us put our but what if what if we all put our minds together and we're like yo I want to make this kind of music that none of us have ever heard before. Like, we have to actually accept the idea that if we locked ourselves in this studio for like a week and a half and threw ideas at the board, we maybe could come up with a whole new genre of music. And like, believing that, that's cool. Like, that's cool. And that like works on a bigger scale because if you think about, you know, you know it just takes teamwork and like wanting to like have good people in a room together, like trying to make something great. And like other, because otherwise you see what's happening. Everything's moving too fast. People are kind of just like ah at each other's necks, rather than sitting down and be like, what if we work on something? See, it sounds like you're talking about maintaining faith in people, main, maintaining faith in yourself. 
It's hard despite. to do. It's so hard to do, but like art might be one of the main ways like that we can do like deal like deal with that contradiction of like that contradiction of like wow, people are terrible. Like we've built some terrible stuff, like things are terrible, but we can like actually make some visions happen like even on the scale of just like how easy it is to make your vision of reality in a program like Ableton is inspiring like across the board. Totally. And that's why I think it's important even if people don't end up being, you know, producers for their jobs like yeah, it's like a cool thing to have a part as a part of your life to like think of like, you know, reimagine the way systems work like and how you can, you know, reimagine different things. And like that's why I don't like really believe in genres like as such because I think they all inform each other. Hey, whoa, if I speed this hip hop hip hop beat up twice, it's jungle. That's crazy. Or it's like two step garage. Like what? It so what are these barriers, you know? Like what are these things? Um I don't know. I'm getting maybe too deep about it, but that that's kind of what your question was about was like how do I see that relating to the rest of the world and you know and then like I think then when people see your art then they're 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 watching you try to deal with all that, right? And, just... and not every beat you make has to be that. But it's like about your process though, you know? Yeah, and like as you were saying with the it's the same brain that processes images and also creates based on your experiences. It's the same like world and it's, it's the same system. Like you see patterns in yeah. you know the world and nature all the time. So it's like I really appreciate that perspective um, for you know making uh, different uh like watching what you can what you can create in ableton these softwares and like applying it to the world and like yeah. watching how you can um change the system like that thank you oh no problem nice. hey, while the mic's out there anybody else okay so i have this fear i know a lot of like other young artists have a certain type of fear where it's like i'm just so afraid to put out music yeah like we live in such a judgmental society. Like, it's so funny to, like, make fun of each other, and it's cooler to not like something than to like something. Mm -hmm. And for someone who's, like, making really weird music and, like, super emotional music, like, it can be scary, like, trying to put stuff out and, like, try to get started, because it's like, okay, then what the hell do I do afterwards? Or, like, how do I deal with, like, like mean comments or how do I deal with like people who don't like my music how do I deal with people liking my music like everything is happening just so fast and it's like how do I calm down and just be like, mm. yeah I mean you know I'm like right here with you guys like is the deal it's not like I have this whole career to like look back on and give you the answers to like I'm really just starting out on this like journey too you know like even though I've been doing it for a, a while and I feel like pretty confident in like you know, the fact that I can make art that I think is cool, you know, and I can listen to and, and like, I still haven't figured all that stuff out. And I've like put out music and fit in a lot of different forms and had a lot of different reactions and had a lot of different responses. And I felt a lot of different ways about it, depending on the level of like emotional rawness or whatever to it. Or like, you know, I there's this like weird tension to like, cause you want to make music, but then music is also like your ticket 
or like your introduction into like the greater social world and its power like relations like kind of right and like you're 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 stuck in this thing where you're like ah, i made this cool art and i want to throw it out there into that world but then it means something that i didn't even mean it to i just wanted to share it right but then it's like judged and ranked and valued in this different way but i think like like what we were saying about there's no like different brain it's like just your brain it's just you like really it's all it's just you and like your your fear about all that stuff like let that become the art too like mm. let that become the music like you know what i mean like and like whether you decide to say you know what i'm going to do this thing because you know everyone's going to say that it's it's bad, but that makes me believe in it even more. And it makes you question it, in a, but let it always be like a generative question. Like, is this, is this lame? And then you think, oh, why would I think it's lame? Okay, and then you go through that whole thing and like, yeah, you're never gonna stop overthinking things. But you can start to like build with it and be like, all right, so they responded to it in this way. I'm not gonna, I like that though, so I'm not gonna change that. I might as well make that even clearer so that maybe next time they won't see it as a flaw and it's like, it's the thing. So like a lot of the mistakes that you make can become like your style. And a lot of the ways that you don't fit in will set you apart. Um, and like, and cause you know, but like there's so much music out there. There's so much music. The worst thing you can do is sound like somebody else. For real, for real. Like that's the worst possible, that's the worst case scenario is that your, your music sounds like somebody else's. Is it important to try to mimic other people's stuff as you're learning and going? And is it okay to be a young producer that's just starting out and music kind of sounds like other people's stuff? For sure. But you have to understand that like, you're working towards getting your own voice. And don't feel discouraged by, by the fact that like, you know, if you haven't fully found that voice yet, I don't think I've fully found it. But it's like, as long as you're working towards it, then that answers a lot of those questions about why, what does it mean? You're like, well, hey, you can say what you want, but at least I'm working towards doing my thing. Like, you know, like, and that's like in all art, like, isn't it so much better to watch a movie that like somebody made and just went all out with their vision and it was like all the colors are like their choices and like, it might be weird, it might be, you know, but it's awesome. It's like, it's one of a kind and you remember it. And, you know, you can say what you want about it, but at least it's something rather than just like, you know. So I think, yeah, what I've realized is just do, do stuff you like. And once you like it, like, just, you know, you know what you like. And like, really work on hear listening to yourself about it. Like, really start to become really good friends with your, like, taste. And like, man, I like, you're a producer. Like, you're a record producer. You're also a musician. You're also a songwriter, but like you also are a record producer and you should be able to sit back and be like, that's good. I like that. And even if somebody else says they, says, you know, they don't like it, you believe in it. Why not? <laughs> like, like we're saying, everything's so fast, like everyone's at each other's necks, whatever. Like, why not believe in yourself? Like that's the, that's the best bet. Let me get that one to add something to that. Sounds like what you're saying, Zach, Keeping, keeping yourself as the center of it and not getting swept up in perception 
and this idea of what other people are going to bring to it because yeah. at the you end of the day, you have any- no control over that, truly. And as, as far as you know, there's a whole town of people that just live for the sound that you haven't even created yet. You know what I mean? 100%. That's the realest thing. It's like you, have, you didn't even know you were going to make something that was that you that you like but not only do you like it you just happen to have just made something that other people like and like you got to trust your audience like you got to trust that like cool people will listen to your music you don't want lame people to listen to your music close-minded people i don't i don't want to be your favorite song like i don't you know what i'm saying like i don't i'm not going for that it's just like if i dig it and i also like all this other music like Let's Hopefully, think, you know, maybe you like it. Let's and think like, about let's think about the Vince record, right? Like he was not him him rapping over a beat that's way faster than everything else on the radio, you know, picking the weirdest beats that Zach sent to him, right? Like that's that's putting himself in the center, right? Putting himself as the filter, right? And I mean, this is clearly an example of it clear like hitting really hard, but I mean, this is this record's, you know, on the radio and and killing, right? And it's so you really have no control, both positive and negative. And if you don't think I was reading the responses to the tweets that were coming in as ideas about what the album was gonna be, and like freaking out about it, you're wrong. I was freaking out. I was like, oh no, everyone's gonna be like. Oh, Vince Staples is rapping over techno. These rapping over EDM. I was the worst. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna be like the EDM guy that messed up the promising underground rapper. Like that's the last person I wanted to be because like I'm like the biggest underground real hip hop dude. Like, how did I get here? You know, like, am I like the Euro remix uh, to your favorite rapper? Like, oh, this is bad. Like, oh man, I'll never live this down. Like, you know, stuff like that. And then like. But then somebody will come in and be like, yo, this reminded me of XYZ thing that is like amazing. I'm like, well, that's awesome too. But like, there's definitely gonna, I was, you know, there's definitely people that wanted him to rap over boom bap, like hip hop beats. And definitely are like, dang, like, this is not my record. Like, this is the one where he went experimental electronic. Like, I don't like this one. Cool. (laughs) Turns out there's actually a lot of people that like it. And like, more people like it than I thought would. So like, just give it a try, like, that's it. Just, and like, believe in yourself. And she's amazing, like truly, Charlotte is incredible. Yeah. Any, any last questions for this magic man right here? Any like, technical stuff? I feel like I was a little too like, philosophical today, but <laughs> sometimes it's, I feel like you, you got the like, Ableton stuff so covered that like, <laughs> I, I don't mean, anything else, yeah. All right, well, any, any last thoughts for these guys before we wrap it? Oh, just have fun. Like, that's the number one thing about this whole thing is, like, it's the best thing that you can do. It's, I think, like, to make music is the coolest thing you can do. Always remember that. Like, it's so fun. You get to spend time by yourself with friends, have a file that you made yourself, play it in the car, play it at a party, like, hell yeah. Like, love that. Like, that's the point. Like, like pl- listen to your music with your friends in the car. Like, trust me, it's fun. Like, 
for like you know just listen to it like and 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 you know have fun like that's the whole point and don't close yourself off to any anything it's all anything can happen right now i have you're catching me at a time where i really believe like i have no powers of predicting what can happen so the only advice i can give is just do do what you believe in because wouldn't it suck if like you did something you didn't believe in and that's what you like <laughs> what you won doing like mm. you got a you got a chance to do something cool and like do it and like it doesn't matter whether other people like it or not you know it doesn't give this man a round of applause <laughs> thanks for listening to this special summer workshop episode of the ypg podcast Thanks to YPG alum Juan Lopez for the theme music. To learn more about YPG, please visit youngproducersgroup.com or reach out to us by emailing contact at youngproducersgroup.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you take what you heard and use it to make the music you love.